the entrepreneur, right? So I, I didn't start something, but I'm, I'm imagining new things within from a framework and a foundation that uh, my grandfather has set um, and embodied for me. So it's, it's fun to be able to kind of like come before you guys and kind of just process a little bit of that journey and story and, and mainly focusing on his journey. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's just kind of in, in the space of our city, our family for some reason has been called to be entrepreneurial. Um, and so um, with that gifting, we're trying to figure out what does it look like to be more intentionally engaged in the, what Lance was talking about. What does a redeemed city look like? Like how do we participate um, in that? Um, so yeah, just fun to, to be up here with Grant Paul and uh, just kind of ask him some questions and, and just, just, just context, right? So cultivate, what we talked about is this is a, a peer-driven mentor-driven community. So we're, we're, I would say he is a peer in that he's 50 years in the business and he's still running a business, right? And so he is your peer. And he just, <laughs> we were just talking to Caleb Arter, uh, a fellow retailer, um, and we celebrated 50 years of, of business yesterday and he said he's still learning. He's still figuring it out. Um, so, and I would say he's figuring out probably in all ways, right? What it means to be, a, you know, how to lead in this moment, family business, um, COVID operations, um, shipping containers being three or four times the price they were, you know, 15, 18 months ago. Um, so all kinds of things that he's continuing to just process. And then, yeah, mentor. So um, obviously he's, he's gone before us and has paved the way of what does it mean to kind of integrate faith and work together. Um, it's probably a a new thought so um and yeah before we kind of jump in yeah just just note i i um i just had the the, the privilege of right out of university getting to work seven years with grant paul just directly for him and kind of helping more on the kind of the the the, the giving community engagement side and so um just want to acknowledge that i've i've had the the gift of getting to see kind of the day-to-day -day life and got to learn, you know, cross-generational what it looks like to just be faithful, be obedient. And I think um, we recognize we have probably different giftings, but we all, but the same kind of heart and motivation and foundation um, and the same desired outcome pulls us together to be able to collaborate. So um, just a, a joy to be able to do that. So yeah, kind of just jumping in, um, I'll say this up front. Because again, we talk about we don't want to be like talking heads to you guys. You know, keynote, we, we want to have a conversation. I'm going to ask them a few questions, but be ready because I'm going to quickly turn this to you guys to let this be. This is a moment. Like we're just sitting around in the living room, time to ask questions. Hey, tell me more about this. Or, hey, I'm challenged by this in my own world or business. Like, what's your experience on that? So I want to. I get to hang out with this guy. I can ask him questions anytime I want, but I'm trying to give you guys an opportunity to kind of just glean from that, just um, his faithfulness and um, just obedience. So, so when we talk, Grandpa, when we talk about entrepreneurship, we're, we're beginning to teach this. This is, well, the first day for this new cohort, but we're talking about kind of the integration of faith and work. So it's not just about what you do. It's about your faith and integrating that. And so we talk about the different aspects of that and one of them is you know you as a leader and why you do what you do one of them is is the strategy like what are you building and then the other is kind of operations how you build so 
when we really kind of jump in this journey, we kind of start out with kind of a leader's journey. So um, I'm going to kind of focus on that aspect today with you um, of just what does it mean for you as um, what does it look like? And we talk about redemptive. We just mean what does it look like to not as a leader, not live for yourself, but to live for others and kind of the, the, the journey that you've had to go on as an entrepreneur in that um, as the venture has built has, has grown and, and, and shaped and shifted and had growth and challenges. And so just kind of kind of relate even some of our own stories that we've shared last night. But to kind of get us started and grounded, um, just talk about like, you know, the beginnings of Hobby Lobby. What are the, the, the kind of the whys and kind of how it got started? So. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you took a little bit of pressure off of me by saying that I'm still learning. Okay, so... When I can say that, I can make any mistake I want here today, so <laughs> I feel real free here because uh, obviously we're still learning And uh, after 50 years. And we did celebrate our 50th yesterday. I have a daughter that's crazy. Now, she is crazy. But uh, so she, at the end of this uh, celebration, she kind of went back and talked about how it started. She said, we've got two really, really good uh, uh, people that are our greatest supporters and she brought in two elephants in this room. <clears throat> now the doors are kind of low, but these elephants were huge. I mean, as big an elephants as you've ever seen. And they were on their knees getting into there. But anyway, we were celebrating our, uh, our 50th year yesterday. And uh, as he said, we're still learning. So there's a lot, to, uh, you never stop learning. But yeah, it was, I started uh, out of high school. In my junior and senior year, uh, I, uh, I took distributive education, and distributive education, they let you out at, like, I'm, I'm taking three classes, and my fourth class is DE, and so distributive education. So they actually, I got a credit for working and making money, and I thought I died and went to heaven. You know, I'm out of school at 11 o'clock, I'm going to work, and in Altus, Oklahoma, that's where I really found my love for what I do today, and that's retail. It just bites you. You can't get away from it. So I tell people that that's, I found two of my loves in Altus, Oklahoma, and the love of my life, which my wife, which I've been married for 61 years, and the love of what I do. So that's where I, I found two of my loves. And so that happened in Altus, Oklahoma, and I, the bug hit me, and uh, I loved retail. And uh, I think most of us, when we're working for someone, and we say, hey, I wonder if I'd do this for myself. And uh, I was with TGNY. And by the way, Barbara was scared to death when I left TGNY and I, we came over to Hobby Lobby, which was, was nothing at the time. In fact, I was earning 26000 a year working for TGNY, and I came over to our, our business, uh, Hobby Lobby, for thirteen. So we took a big, a big decrease, and she loved the, uh, the security of this big company. Hmm. Well, it's gone, and this little company we came is still here. So anyway, it was it was a neat deal. So yeah, it's been a great ride, and God has been with us, and and uh, it's uh, it's it's been uh, yeah challenging, but also it's been a good ride. Hmm. Um, maybe flesh out a little bit of like what were your motivations? I mean, other than hey, I can do this better this or seeing and vision and thinking, hey, this could be possible. What were some kind of those, I know there were some other kind of motivations and kind of starting your own company um, just related to kind of 
time and yeah. family and all that. Yeah, I think part of it was um, the fact that I uh, and TGNY, they kind of gave you all this freedom, and that was one of their downfalls. And I would go in there and, and build a department like crafts, and I knew we weren't doing it well, and it needed to be done better, and I thought we could do it better. But I think part of my motivation was, you know, to to do something on your own, and I, I, I really had trouble with the hours, you know. We were open Sundays and nights and uh, late nights and things of that nature. So I think that was a motivation. But I think also, when you think back, I think it was just God's plan for my life mm -hmm. that that he wanted us here, and I think we just followed his plan, and, and, uh, and that was... But to be honest about it, I never gave it probably... Uh, one one thought about being able to use the business for ministry, I, I, honestly, I wasn't there uh, mm -hmm. at all. But it, that was something that just, people ask me about that sometimes in terms of what God has done in our lives for what we can do in ministries, but it's just really been an evolution. It's not just one day, but it's just trying to be faithful in what God has done in our lives and just, you know, being able to let that continue to grow as as the company grows. Yeah. I mean, so you kind of begin to mission, mention this kind of intersection of kind of faith and ministry and work. Um, so you were one of six kids. Um, his father was a pastor. Mom was an evangelist, music, kind of full-time ministry. All your brothers and sisters were in the mm -hmm. ministry. So talk about kind of those early journey, that kind of early journey of kind of wrestling with kind of calling and Wait, I'm, I'm kind of the black sheep of the family doing yeah. business and yeah. just share a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah. When you have five brothers and sisters that are pastors and pastor's wife and you're out here making money, you are the black sheep. <laughs> <laughs> and I sense that. No one told me that, uh, but no one else told me also. No one told me also that I can be in God's perfect will as a retailer. No one ever told me that, you know. I've never seen churches come down and have and lay hands on people that's in the retail as they go out. I've never seen that, but I have seen it for ministers, but I have not seen it for other professions. And, and uh, you know, as I see it today, uh, God can use us in, uh, in whatever, whatever he has for us to do. I don't care, retail or whatever. I think God has a plan for our lives, and I think it's, it's bigger than earning an income. I think it's bigger. Uh, so, you know, our family has gotten down, and it's... it's uh, it's all over. You go in the kitchen, you see on that fireplace, it says we have one life. Soon it shall pass. Only what's done for God uh, will last. And we were, we were raised that way. And, and, uh, and so it, it, it caught uh, on the six of us kids that we, we knew that life was more than just doing life for yourself. And so um, that's, it, it, you know, I'm excited. To be, not everybody has what I had as far as uh, the upbringing that I mm -hmm. had, and so I understand that, but I'm just thankful for being raised in a family, a godly family, a godly mother and father that really taught us uh, things that were very important to us. And one of the things, I learned a lot from my mother and father, but I, sometimes I think, what are the biggest things I've learned? And uh, it's, it's hard to say because there's so many but one of them probably was just uh, uh, the Bible talks to us about being content with what we have. And uh, so why do we give 
half of what we earn away, it's because I think we're content with what we have. And uh, we don't need that. We don't need another home and another this and another that and another that. So my mother, if you gave her a million dollars, I think she wouldn't spend a dime of it on herself. She might buy one dress, but that might be it. <laughs> but I'm telling you, that's exactly the truth. So the Bible talks to us about being content. And I think as we build our business, at what point are, <clears throat> are we content? Because <clears throat> God wants us to be content. And uh, I hope that I can follow my mother in terms. And I think our family are, are the same thing. We're not out here trying to get more stuff. You know, stuff just doesn't make us happy. Mm. But so many times we're out just got to have more stuff. I got to have more stuff. And uh, so that was something that, that I know that we learned from our parents. But by the way, there was a day and time that I knew that it was okay to be a retailer and God knew I needed this. And so went to this huge convention out in Tennessee and there was a lot of ministers there and uh, they were taking up an offering to be able to print the gospel in these different countries. And, uh, I don't know what I gave, a dollar or two. I don't know what I gave. But on the way home, I sensed on the plane, the guy that asked me to give $30,000. Hmm. So this was a life-changing experience for me. So we didn't have 30000 And uh, so Barbara and I talked. We prayed. What's this deal? God's asking us to give 30000 We don't have $30,000. So we wrote four checks. 7,500 apiece, and we mailed them off. We found out that there was four overseers of these countries that stayed over. They were praying because there wasn't enough money for, for, uh, to uh, have gospel literature. But they received that the day, uh, I mean, they were praying the day that was post-mailed. So that told me, that day, from that day on, I said, you know what, I'm doing exactly, God can use me exactly where I am. And not only that, I say that God can use me where I'm in, but I can be anointed at it. Can you imagine a, a minister wanting to be anointed at what he does and then God's not anointed me to do the same thing in a different way to reach people for Christ, that he's not going to anoint me? So I think when I'm asking God to lead me and I'm walking the day, walking with him, I know that I, uh, I come up with ideas. This is for all of us. This isn't about me, mm-hmm. that God will will guide us when we know that we have to have more than our own talents to get where we want to go. We need our talent that God gave us. We can take no credit for the talents we have. God gave us that. But if we can walk with that and what God has for us, I think we can do things that will be very, very exciting for for the kingdom. Mm. So I tell people I'm an anointed retailer. Mm. And so... And I'm, I'm very, very satisfied and perfect where God has put me. Yeah. And I'm glad he did. I'm glad he didn't send me to some foreign country. And yeah. I would have done it. But <laughs> so, so, yeah, keep, keep moving on this space of, like, you, you're, you're walking this anointing. You're, you're experiencing that in the, in the form of generosity outside the company. Talk about ways in which that same spirit of generosity has impacted you as an entrepreneur leader inside the company in terms of with like employees and just um recognizing that like this isn't a business this is a ministry like that's what you've you've said so what is put put more give give more context for what that looks like internally yeah i think there was a day and time also that 
that uh, I've, I've, had, I've had several moments that's just, uh, just like the one God let me know it was okay to be a retailer. And there was a time that I think the Lord spoke to my spirit about, he just said, I put these people in your charge. I mean, I was always an employer like I was, uh, had employees with TGNY, but I just, it hit me that mm. I'm responsible for these people and that he's put them in my charge. The way we led them, would lead them and how we treated them, how we, how we lived our lives, that I was, I was responsible. I just sensed the responsibility of them. So that was a kind of a new thing. Maybe it, I should have known that long before that as a Christian, but it just, it just came on heavy. And, and from that point on, uh, we have here again uh, evolutionary, not overnight, but we've tried to do this and this and this and be more conscious of the people that we're hiring in terms of do I want them. We were actually open at one time at, uh, on Sundays. And uh, so we wanted to, hey, let's close at 8 o'clock because maybe the people that get off can see their kids before they go to bed. There's no company our size anywhere that closes at 9 o'clock. And there's only one company that I know of of any size that's closed on Sunday. So we just think we have a responsibility for those that we, we, that we employ. Our minimum wage, not our average wage, is $18 an hour. We have about seven uh, um, chaplains here. Everybody in the field that's, that's, that's uh, on the payroll that's not on hourly can go to a seminar for, for marriage, and, uh, and we pay for that weekend. So we, we just think we have to do all we can do for our employees to do as much as we can for them in, in a lot of different ways that we, we want to serve them. Yeah. So we're, we're going to kind of move back a little bit to kind of your journey as a leader. And so... Um, last night, as we were even kind of reflecting on our stories, as we kind of talk about this this movement from, you know, we get into things and there's just moments that are like, we realize like we can't do this. And so um, um, I know that Jordan shared his own story of just like, okay, I got to turn this over. <laughs> like, I can't do this. Um, and Akisha, you talked about like just this humbling process. So I know in your journey, there's been some really big, significant moments I think about you know, 86, I think about 2012, I think about COVID. Just talk about just your own wrestling with your identity in those pieces in terms of your own kind of coming to face to face with even some of your own pride in those experiences and what you learned in those moments um, about just your role and what it means to be a steward. And Yeah, I think anybody in business or in life for that matter, are going to come into crisis times. I just think that's, uh, that's going to be in all of our lives over a period of time. There's going to be crises, and there certainly has been in our lives. And um, one of them you mentioned was in 1986 when there was an oil bust. Here in Oklahoma, and everything was uh, Penn Square. The banks were closing. I mean, it was just all over the board. And so we, we had positioned ourselves, okay, there's nothing wrong with what we're doing. We're positioning ourselves for next year to be better. You know, it's kind of weird. It took us a little while to figure out that we don't know the future, you know, and uh, only God knows the future. And if you think about that a little bit, you'll start thinking about, well, if I don't know the future, how much borrowing am I going to do? So 
from that experience, I'm, I'm getting off the road here a little bit, we learned that we're not going to have any long-term debt. Hobby Lobby has no long-term debt. Everything you see on this property, 11 million square feet is paid for. But that had to do with the fact that we weren't positioning ourselves there. We're positioning ourselves, hey, look, we're going to do X amount next year so we can borrow this money. And so we found ourselves, the sales go down, and we can't take care of our bank note, and the bank is... Uh, is uh, really threatened to foreclose on us in 1986. Uh, uh, so uh, I just found myself, I think God used that also for a period just to teach him why everything I did, I kept getting promoted and bigger stores, supervisor, then coming over here and everything was great for, from the time we started in 72, our first store to 18, I mean from to 86 and everything was just going in the right direction. And and, um, you know, I just know God was dealing with me about pride, and I think that's probably one of the ugliest sins there is, is pride. And uh, so I found myself literally physically under my desk just asking God to forgive me and what is it that you want from us and uh, how, can I, how can I be a, serve you better? And uh, over a period of time, you know, people say, what did you do? I said, I didn't do anything. Because everything I did backfired on me. I'd say, you know, I'm going to ship the stores every two weeks instead of every week. That didn't work to save the trucking. And, mm -hmm. and nothing, I just, it was, it was that this big ship that was in this rough waters. It, in one way, it would be nice to say, I took this thing out of this thing, and I, I was the pilot. And the, that's not, not what happened. We found ourselves totally dependent upon God, and we found him. And that's good, and that's better. Because sometimes we want to be that pilot that gets us out of all this. I think he wants us to know that he wants us to walk with him. And we, he wants us to know that what we have, he's given it to us. And so I hope we learned that lesson. Uh, I'd say when it comes to pride, you don't learn that in one lesson. It's something you learn every day. And you have to, every day, you have to, to walk and, and, uh, and know that it, without God, you can do nothing. Hmm. So like yeah, it's it, the the crisis creates that kind of moment mm -hmm. where it's like there's no other choice. Mm -hmm. How how do you keep that? You know, as you said, every day. How do you keep that posture when things are when everything you are touching is seemingly turning to kind of gold and working? Like how do you stay just at a place of serving and stewardship and and staying motivated and yet knowing that you're not in control? Well, I think one of, there's a couple ways. One is I think I try to re, always reflect back on that and try to remember that. And I, and I don't think that's something that lasts forever. But I do try to reflect on when I was outside of really depending on God and asking him for help. And then the other is he brings you through other deals just the same way. You got another one to go through, you know, in, in uh, what was it, uh, 20, early 20, 20? This place was closed down, you know, and our rent's 440 million a month is our rent, 40 million and no income coming in. You know, I don't have that much money sitting around in a drawer someplace, you know, it's just not there. And so it's very, very, very difficult. So I think God takes us through life. And um, even though we were in a great position, having no long-term debt, we still, uh, borrow money to buy our Christmas in fall and then pay for it in December, uh, which is fairly conservative. But uh, we were in a position that we just 
couldn't find ourselves operating. So Barbara and I would come down here, and uh, we would drive every one of these buildings, and we'd pray over every one of them. And we prayed for the people in them, because they didn't have a job, and just said, God bless them and us. You know, this is yours, and it belongs to you. And uh, so I think the answer is... Uh, 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 you're going to go. Th you may go through something uh, again and again, and then comes up uh, where we're paying like four thousand dollars a container to bring containers in, and you're bringing in sixty thousand, and then it goes to fifteen thousand. That's eleven thousand. Multiply that times sixty thousand containers, and now you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. So, the answer to your question, you just have to learn that you have to depend on God. Good times are bad times, and uh, he wants to walk it with you. He wants to walk life with you, and so that's what we want to do. Mm. Not that we always do the right things, because we don't, but at least uh, we're reminded. I mean, we've been reminded lately that, no, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll bring us through this. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, I wanted to kind of ask some of those questions to kind of begin to flesh out a little bit of that, that kind of whole life perspective that we were talking about this morning of just everything's his and you're trying to work that out. And that's been a journey for you. And, just, and then, too, just what does it mean to, to lead, lead the venture in a way that, that is, you know, um, dying to yourself. Um, so, but, yeah, I, just, I, can't, I think I just want to transition to you guys to... Um, I mean, there's obviously so many other facets of the, the story and venture that we could kind of go into, but I just think there's just a kind of a sweet moment for you guys to just ask any questions um, that you, you might have um, just kind of around this. What does it mean to just like the why and the how of what it means to lead a venture and an organization and what that looks like? First of all, I think I'd like to thank you as a fellow Oklahoman for how you stood up for our value systems all the way to the Supreme Court. That, that, that means a lot to us as, as Oklahomans, and it means a lot to my wife Robin and I that you guided the way to show us how to run our own businesses, and we have lots of questions of you. Of, of how you set your business up so you don't fall into those legal perils um, that could bestow us when we when we decide we want to have a Christian-based business. And I think the attack on Christianity is going to become more prominent as we move forward during these difficult times. So how do you protect Hobby Lobby from a legal standpoint? I know we have to have faith in God, but we have to be smart too. So Explain to me how you do this. I think probably the, I don't know how to answer this question, but I think the best way I can answer it is to say that to be Christ-like. And to be Christ-like, you love everybody. Christ loved the gay person. Christ loved everybody. And we want to be seen as loving everybody. So uh, once the, every month we bring in about 40 guys that are, and gals that's going to be our future managers or co-managers, and we talk to them. We actually pray the sinner's prayer with them. And last month we had 15 of them accepted Christ, and I think it was eight that rededicated their life. 
So I am answering your question. The question is, how do you not get a lawsuit when you're doing that? Right. You can't go from that meeting and know that we don't care about you. Right. So if you don't like what we believe, you're not going to sue us because, no, no, this is about God loves you, and I want to love you as much as God does. We're here to help you in everything you do. And I think that has kept us away from lawsuits is the fact that we just want to try our best. And by the way, we're not that way all the time, okay? Um, we're just not perfect in that. But at least we have a go to be to love people like Christ would love them. And I think that keeps us from lawsuits. We've never had a lawsuit with somebody that says, I got fired because I wasn't a Christian. It's never happened. Because I think they see that we're doing everything we can because we care about them. And all the things we do, there's just too much of that uh, that I, I think they'd have a hard time in court. Okay. Well, I think, I think obviously your culture is that I, I worry more about the outside influences and the people outside of Hobby Lobby that, that want to attack you as an entity because of our value systems. Yeah, and I think that's something that could happen and it hasn't happened. I think the outside, uh, in some respects, I'm hoping that they come against us because I'm not doing good if they don't. I mean, we, we're different than the world. Now, that's a bad answer because it's not what you're saying. I mean, if they come after you legally, once I, the wrong, if we, the wrong administration in is in Washington, we get audited on our tax every, every year, right. every year. And uh, so, yes, uh, that's, I think that's what you're saying is part of it. But I think God walks with us in this if we're asking him to. And uh, I think he'll protect us, and hopefully he has. He has, and I think he will continue to do so. You know, when people ask me that question, I always answer it by saying it's evolutionary. You know, it's evolution. I was, I was raised to pay my tithes, and Barbara and I, when we got married, we paid our tithes. We, we believe that God blesses you when you pay your tithes. It's the only place in the Bible that says, try me. <laughs> so what else could the Bible say to encourage us than to say, try me? Um, and so when we, when we started the business, uh, shortly after, not immediately, we started tithing the business. And this is the evolution, and I won't take but a couple minutes to give you the evolution. And so after that, we started giving over and above tithing. You know, we would give. But I made a mistake, because I said something and God caught me. I said, you can't outgive God. Well, God says, well, you haven't tried. And so, <laughs> so, so I got caught. You know, he heard what I said. Doesn't cost a lot to say you can't outgive God. And so God says, uh, well, you really haven't tried. And so I had never met, I never pre heard a, pre a preacher preach, and I'm a, a preacher son on how to outgive God, you know. And I don't know that I could uh, preach that message myself, but I know God says, you need to outgive me, you know. And so I said, I got the family together, Mart, family. We said, hey, we're supposed to try to figure out how do we outgive God. And so 
I, I think about what we did from that point on, and I think about it was a miracle because Mark came up with something that was identical to what I came up with or what I felt like God was asking us to do. And we could have come up with a thousand plans, but we had this plan. And the plan was we're going to give X amount of dollars, okay, the biggest amount we ever gave. And then six months later, we were going to double it, and 12 months later, we were going to triple it. Now, I'm not saying double every six months. So sometimes people say that, and that gets into la-la land. I'm just saying give that amount. And so we looked at it, and I remember looking at it and said, there's absolutely no way we can do this. There's no way in five or six years. It was sort of like 100% of our business or something like that. It was crazy. And that was uh, in 98. That was 24 years ago. And we're ahead of that plan. So at po some point we said, you know what we can do? Uh, let's just give half because that's what the government allow us to write off. So I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, we said, we're just going to give half of what we earn. So that's kind of the evolution of what we've done. And God has uh, allowed us to do that. John. Yeah, that's a real good question. Because um, kind of, we're sitting here talking about where we are now, yeah. not when we were. The first year we opened, we opened in October, uh, August. Okay, August of 72. And by December, we did $3,600. Our payroll was most of that. And so what we did is what we had to do. And, uh, we did the best we could do. And so. I, th I think everybody has to see where they find themselves and do the very best they can. Uh, you know, I knew the first of the year that the cost of living was going to be on everybody. Of, it was 6% at the time when we made these raises in, in February, and we said we're going to go from 17 to 18. Well, I just did the math on it. So I've always felt like that if you don't get a cost of living raise, then you go backwards. And so we just said no. Uh, this isn't easy for us. We're, we've already got. We've already been told we got to pay fifteen thousand for every container, and uh, so we had all these other things. But that didn't help the employees, and so we just said we're going to do it. We're just going to give them six percent, and so we made sure everybody. We tried to make sure everybody got uh, at least the cost of living raise. We like to be above cost of living because if you get the cost of living, you just you, you maintain. So we kind of put that in our head that. Uh, we want everybody to grow. Now, we also put it on their responsibility that you need to take on more responsibility, you know. So some of it's on their, re their responsibility to take on more responsibilities to, to grow in the company. So it's our, our responsibility and theirs as well to grow in the company.
Yeah, that's a good question. I think for us, uh, it is setting some rules, and one of our rules, we're not going to do any long-term borrowing, okay? And our short-term borrowing is on a basis that I can borrow money for Christmas and fall merchandise, and I can pay for it when it's all out of here. So I think the rules that we have, you have to have a rules, where do I want to be? If you want to be uh, borrowing billions of dollars, then, then fine, go for it. Sorry, you're going to have trouble. But anyway, um, so I think we've been, I think what has dictated our growth is our ability to grow, and that's, that's where it is today. Uh, we're not growing. Now we can, now our, at first we could only open maybe 20 stores. That's what our cash flow and it wouldn't cause us any problems. And then it, then it became 50. A couple years ago we did a, about 70 a year. But now it's like, all we can find because there's not a lot of virgin territory and so because of that in COVID we're, we're opening about 30 a, a year because that's all we can find but I think what 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 uh, should drive growth is how how's God blessing you uh, and if I think we get past that I think it's like borrowing money sometimes people explain it that you're telling God you I don't like what you're doing for me, so I'm going to go out here and get in debt. And you don't want me to talk about debt, but anyway, it's it, it, you don't want to be a servant to the bank. And uh, I, I, we just want to take a very conservative approach uh, on on growth and make sure we can afford it. So our rule is for investment, because now we not only give half, but we have money to invest. Is it December 31st? We have no debt, and that's the rule. Now, you work backwards from that. In December, you have no debt. Your line's paid for. You have no long-term debt. We're building another 2 million square feet over here, but it has to be paid for. Uh, so I think, I think our cash flow and how God's blessing you has a lot to do with your growth. Just don't get yourself in a... You know, God loves me, and he loves you, and uh, if you have a son, I have two sons, and I think, I don't want my sons not sleeping at night because of debt. Well, God loves us, and he doesn't want us not sleeping because we've got all this debt. So are we trying to get ahead of him by borrowing all this money, not depending on him? Oh, and by the way, we've done it as good as anybody, and been as guilty as anybody. Well, it, uh, it really, uh, it's really important to be lazy. 
No, I thought I'd get a laugh on that. <laughs> I'm a little bit lazy. Now, I use, I use that to have a little bit of humor, but I, I say it to say something else, and that I'm not good at a lot of things, but I'm good at delegating, okay? So I give responsibility to somebody, and they own it. You own this. Now, if you come in and meddle with it, they don't own it anymore. Now, when you give that person a job, when you're smaller, you've got to walk with them a little bit and hold their hands. Hey, we're together. You got it. I'm never going to come back to this. So I'm the worst person in the world for IT. The worst person. You cannot find anybody dumber than me on IT. I promise you. I don't have a phone. You know, I run a $8 billion company with my pad. I never have to, it never have to plug it in or anything like that. <laughs> but you're trying to find the simple way to do it and you're trying to be a good delegator and let people love, they literally love for you to give it to them and say, I, I believe in you. And sometimes I say, well, man, they did something I wouldn't have done. But then I say, you know what? They did a lot of things better than I would have done. So it washes. But I did walk with them. Now, I don't work, walk with an IT person that I, that I hire, I don't, or a lawyer. I don't know how to walk with them. So we have a lot of really, really, really good people, and I said that in jest, but you need to be able to, in growth, to be able to trust people. And God, by the way, has sent us great, great people. We just have a great, great organization around here. And we also have a policy never, ever, ever, to the best of your ability, never lose a good person. So we have great people here. We've got people, our average uh, vice president has over 25 years here. And so uh, we just have a bunch of great people. But I don't have to worry about this stuff. So I just give it away. And uh, everybody does their job. So I have to come looking for something to do. And so, uh, and, I, and, I, and I do find stuff, you know. So, <laughs> you know. In the company, I'm the CEO, and I said, that takes me an hour a month to be a CEO. Because what, what is it to be a CEO? My definition is to build an organization. Okay, you have this, and you have that, and you have that, and you have that. I'm through. So i got to go find a job. So what I've done is I've named, named, named myself as the merchandiser. I am the company merchandiser. And the marketer and the merchandise it has to do with advertising and product and how to buy, what to buy, when to buy, all of that sort of stuff. So I have 12 different departments. Each one of those 12 have six or eight people working for them, and that's who I worked with. And that's a full-time job. But it's also fun. Uh, so I have fun doing that. <laughs> so if you go into his office, you won't see a computer on his desk. You'll see, like, samplings of glitter because he's trying to figure out like how much should we put in a pack, what's the price, so he's got, he's got glitter and Christmas decorations. And I know more about pony beads than anybody in the world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I took scissors one time from seven different departments. They need scissors and I took them and I said, we need to see what we're doing here. This one's buying this one, this one's buying that. So I brought them all together, but that's what I do. I, I'm in the weeds. So I spend my time in the weeds on the small detail stuff as far as merchandise. You know, 
I didn't graduate from college, barely got out of high school, but I did learn one thing. If you're in retail, you're buying and selling merchandise. You're buying and selling merchandise. So that's what we do. So I spend 90% of my time buying and selling merchandise. So that's what, I, that's what I do. So I think the answer to your question is, you really need a lot of good people not to sit and worry about it and those kind of things. Okay, we have, we have one more minute together. And Emmanuel, you had your, your hand up, so. <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're asking the wrong person on that. <laughs> sometimes I tell people, you know, sometimes I act like Jesus. I turn the tables over, <laughs> you know, I just turn them all over. Uh, there, there's, a right, there's a right way to do that, and uh, I know that I'm pretty bad at that. Because I've got all these officers, I don't have to hire anybody anymore, but some of those officers, they're, they're the, about the fifth person. So I'm, I'm not good because why, didn't I, why did I mess up on those first four that I hired? So you want excellence, but there may be a, a situation where sometimes I find out my, in myself, my person's not as good as it because of me. I didn't hold their hand long enough before I gave them the authority. I just, uh, you know what I mean by holding it. Just yeah. walk with them so that they know what's expected of them. You're wanting excellence. And, but you shouldn't expect everybody to look like you. Right. No, no, not I, I mean, you're built. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cause I'm sorry, they ain't gonna get there. <laughs> no, I, I, I know, I was kidding. Yeah, and I, yeah, I mean, I think part of that is he knows what he's good at and what he's not. So if you're in the buying department, He's going to empower you, but he's going to be he, proximity. He's going to come see you. He's going to keep asking you questions. So it's not that he's not in and observing and pushing and challenging, but he's, he's looking to empower as much as he can. But so. I try never to go anyplace with anybody in buyer without them with me. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? And until we're together 99% of the time, we're not going forward. So I want to know what you know. You're buying fabric. 40 hours a week and I'm coming in here working with you and so why don't we talk about this so I think it's important for me not to get in front of them here's what I want you to do that almost never happens sometimes it's well let's try this and then we'll go back if we need to but I think you have to they have to be with you and so we try to make that happen yeah okay well Grandpa thanks for Thank taking time but then also just for believing in just continuing to resource and support other entrepreneurs and ventures in our city. And um, just looking at you guys, I mean, I just, I think 
just even as we begin this journey, like we just want to say, like, we're grateful that you're in our city and that, you know, we get to collaborate with each of you as you build your own ventures and you shape your cultures to be more redemptive, more um, just Christ honoring, more just better examples of peace and justice and his mercy. So um, we, we bless you guys. And I think the heart and the spirit of this is to just encourage and empower. And then, you know, for me, I just want to be able to like learn and, and grow alongside each of you. So just, just bless.